I started thinking about my, my disability because to your point, and we'll dig into this more, I'm sure, but traveling with a wheelchair as a, as a wheelchair user is comes with a lot of challenges and it makes you really start to value certain things in your life and also start thinking, you know, why did this happen to me? Why is this here? You know, what about all these other people in parts of the world that don't have access to medical care? And my whole life, um, there has really been no genetic answer to my diagnosis. And so I just started to live with that. But through the traveling and the self-discovery, I really, I started thinking it towards the end of my sabbatical year, I wonder if there's new technology out there. I, so I reached out to a couple of doctors and I found a geneticist um, who was willing to work with me at Johns Hopkins actually. And they are currently doing some genetic testing for me and they think that I went home and I told my mom, you know, I'm, I'm probably seven or eight at this point. Mom, I have a life goal. I want to go see all 50 states. And she kind of, you know, kind of chuckles a little. And she's like, you know what, you should, you should do that. Of course, you know, she's supporting my life goal. This is, is a great goal. Um, before you know it, you start getting to places in the world that you never thought you would get to. I would say around 30 when I said, you know, kind of made my, my, made up this decision that I wanted to see all countries in the world before I die. Welcome to the Winging It Travel podcast with me, James Hammond. Every Monday, I'll be joined by a guest to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice, and so much more. Right now, I'm taking the podcast on the road traveling with me. So tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, gap year student, or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you, designed to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share, and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. Let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I'm joined by Renee Bruns. Renee is a wheelchair super traveller, having travelled to 118 countries to date, all 50 states, been to every continent and holds a Guinness World Record. I'm keen to learn about all of that and also what it's really like to travel as a wheelchair user and how difficult it is or not for Renee travelling the world. Got a lot of questions, excited to talk about this today. Renee, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this conversation today. Yeah, I've seen you about on social media quite a bit. So I thought, okay, I need to get you uh, on the podcast. I yeah. spoke to Rick Gazarian. He's like, yep, yeah, be a great speaker. Is that cool? So yes. I thought I'd reach out. So I've not done many interviews for three or four months because of the road trip. So I'm really sure. keen to get back into this one. I'm really excited. So yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Where in the world are you right now? So I am currently in um, the United States. I'm in Ohio. I um, am spending a year in Argentina. I'm in Ohio for just a short period of time, about a week and a half. I'm actually heading back to South America tomorrow. I've been, Argentina is my home base for the year. I'm about halfway through that year cycle, but really wanted to spend some time in South America perfecting my Spanish, which is a admittedly a challenging feat. And I'm, I'm almost 40. So I attribute it to my age. I don't know if that's just like <laughs> some sort of cop out excuse. But I'm I'm slowly learning and, you know, just challenging my brain and immersing myself in the language and the culture. It's been a fantastic experience. Ah, interesting. I've got a few things there, actually. Uh, I read or listened to the other day on a podcast at 34. Uh -huh. Is the age that you start to find things difficult afterwards, you know, learning mm -hmm. new things. Um, so I don't think it's an excuse you're fine there but also why Argentina what was the thinking there 
So it's really a funny story. I, my life partner, Tony is from Costa Rica. We've been dating for 10 years. And when I, I had just gotten done from a year of traveling and said, Hey, I, I think I want to go spend some time in South America, kind of as a soft landing coming back from my traveling and really wanted to immerse myself in, well, it wasn't even Argentina, but really wanted to immerse myself in a Spanish speaking culture. And mm-hmm. I naturally thought let's go to Costa Rica. And he said, like I grew up in Costa Rica. I, you know, I don't want to go there. I want to go check out somewhere else. And I, from my standpoint, I was like, you choose. I, I don't really care where we go. I just want to go and immerse myself and have some fun exploring South America. So he said, let's go to Buenos Aires. I love Argentina. It's uh, fairly inexpensive right now. Unfortunately, they have some, some political things going on that are driving that. But from, from our standpoint, it's, it's easy to get to, and it's a beautiful, beautiful city. So we chose Buenos Aires, Argentina. We've bounced around, you know, kind of mm-hmm. checking out some other places nearby, but I totally left it up to him and he chose Argentina. So that's where we ended up. <laughs> i tell you what, I agree with that. If you want to learn Spanish, uh-huh. uh, I thought this when I was traveling South America, that if I really want to learn this language, I can get by basics, but uh-huh. get get deep dived into it. I need to go and probably stay somewhere for a bit, like six months to a year to really immerse yourself and go straight in. And uh, the only thing with Argentina is I found those guys speak real quick. They do. They speak very quick and they have, I think it's one of the most beautiful Spanish accents I've ever heard, but it's very different than what I'm used to being so close to Mexico and Central Mm. America. It's just, it's very different. It has a lot of Italian influence. So it's beautiful, but it's fast and it's different. And my ear, I, I, I keep thinking, and I tell my, my boyfriend all the time, I'm like, I think the muscles in my ear are just changing because they have to pick up on these new sounds and it, they're not used to it. So it's been a, a learning experience. There have been a, a few tears at times when I thought I understood something and didn't and oh. used, used the wrong <laughs> choice of words and got myself into some, not, I wouldn't say sticky situations, funny situations, yeah. but um it's been fun. And, you know, I, to anybody out there that wants to learn a new language and is learning a new language, kudos to you because it's hard work. Yeah, it's hard work. And I asked a, a local guide in Bolivia, I said, okay, tell me where to go in your uh-huh. eyes to learn Spanish. And he sort of gave a lowdown on a lot of countries. He said, don't go Chile. He said, right. they use too much slang. Said, okay. Uh-huh. He said, Argentine speak quick. Is that right? Uh-huh. Okay. He said, Mexico is okay, but if you want a top-notch experience, as in like you're going to hear the words correctly, go Colombia. Yes. So, ah, okay. But they do use Colombian Spanish for films, so there must be a reason for that. Of course. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I have heard the same thing about Colombia, so um, I'm, I'm with you. Go to Colombia. I think you have a much easier time than what I'm, I'm going through right <laughs> now. But hey, I, you know, I threw myself in. I'm giving yeah. myself some credit for doing it. It gets easier from now on, so you're yeah, Exactly. To yes, exactly. <laughs> Okay, we're going to delve into some subjects here because I think a lot of listeners will be keen to understand from your perspective what it's like to travel. So I want to kick off first your physical disability. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you know, I read on your website that it was undiagnosed. It is undiagnosed. It's um, an interesting story. I So a year and a half ago, I'm going to kind of go way back a little bit so you can sure. understand how I got to this point. But year and a half ago, I left my, I was, I was an executive at a fortune 500 company leading a national team of service people with an insurance company. And this was post pandemic or, you know, kind of towards the end of the pandemic. And like so many people just totally burnt out and saying, what am I doing with my life? 
So I, you know, is that whole like we all get that. I think that everyone has had that kind of reflection. And I've always had this dream of taking a year off of work and just traveling, going out and seeing the world and experiencing the people. And and I really needed that. I needed this refresh on humanity. There was so much hate from the pandemic and the political environment, especially in the US, but really around the world. And there's just all of this stuff going on. And I needed this, this reset. So I left on a year-long sabbatical and I got everything I needed out of that. And ironically, towards the end of that trip, I I started thinking about my my disability because to your point, and we'll dig into this more, I'm sure, but traveling with a wheelchair as a, as a wheelchair user is comes with a lot of challenges and it mm. makes you really start to value certain things in your life and also start thinking, you know, why did this happen to me? Why is this here? You know, what about all these other people in parts of the world that don't have access to medical care? And my whole life, um, there has really been no genetic answer to my diagnosis. And so I just started to live with that. But through the traveling and the self-discovery, I really, I started thinking it towards the end of my sabbatical year. I wonder if there's new technology out there. I, we all get it. The technology is is flying mm. faster than any of us can, can really keep up with. And so I reached out to a couple of doctors and I found a geneticist um, who was willing to work with me at Johns Hopkins, actually. And they are currently doing some genetic testing for me. And they think that with the, you know, the continued research into the human genome, that they'll be able to get me an official diagnosis. So I am, you know, very excited about that. And it's, it's one of those things that traveling has really made me appreciate my access to medical care, my access to, you know, something so simple as a wheelchair that I, Mm. you know, my whole life, I just assume, you know, everyone has these types of things and and I do have it, but the, the, also the opportunity to be able to go out and say, you know, who am I? What is this? What is, what has caused me to have this disability? So I don't have an official name for you. And that's kind of a long-winded, long-winded answer to your question. (laughs) um, Hopefully here in the next few months, I will have an official diagnosis. So just to get this uh, clear for the listeners, this has been from since your child, since birth. Yes, yes. So I was, when I was born, I was born in 1984. So 39, almost 40 years ago. And at the time, ultrasounds for for pregnant women were just, they weren't a common thing unless there was a suspicion that something could be wrong or, you know, maybe there was a previous genetic issue in the family. So my mom did not have an ultrasound. So I come out of out of the womb and she thinks I am the perfect baby and still does to this day. Um, but there's there's some clear deformities with my skeletal structure and mostly in my feet. I had what what is called club feet. So the doctors obviously knew this right away. And, you know, they say you need to start seeing some specialists. And the town I grew up in, just to kind of put some frame of reference here, it had a population of 3000 people. So it's this very small town. There's no internet. There's, you know, there's local doctors and family doctors, that type of thing, but there's not a lot of specialists. There's certainly no geneticists. And so, you know, they refer her to a geneticist and she, and my, my dad too, they both start to drive kind of from Ohio to Indiana and then eventually to Pennsylvania. And, you know, we start going further and further and, and through all of that, they still don't have answers, but there's lots of surgeries and operations, but there's just, there's no official name. They know that there's a skeletal disorder, but what really the, the irony of this, and I call it the silver lining because, you know, I always try to see the positive in it because of that, because of my disability, we started traveling 
before I can even remember. And I was, you know, four or five years old when I got on an airplane to go to New York City, which to a lot of people is not a huge deal. But to mm. somebody who was born in a town with 3000 people, New York City yeah. was a whole new world. And when I got there as a five year old, it was like, mom, I have to see more of this. I, I didn't even know that these things existed. And so it really <laughs> launched me into this this whole exploration of the world and of myself and, you know, everything that comes with traveling. So I, I always say my disability is the silver lining that launched me into really putting myself out there and, and stretching myself to see the world. Yeah, that's so inspirational. It's, it's really hard, isn't it, to even for me to even relate because obviously I walk. So um, sure, sure. The, the, only, the, only, the only thing I can relate to, I had a stint in hospital because I had an infection in my hip. Uh-huh. I had two surgeries and there was just a few days like oh am I gonna walk again because I couldn't walk sure um, sure so I had to, had to sort of relearn it after and after a week they kind of said oh yeah you're, you're in your 20s you're fine so oh, okay um but, but and, that that fear, and I think for so many of the listeners I'm sure many many of the listeners have had those moments where it's oh my gosh if this physical attribute or this physical mm. ability is taken away what does my life look like and it's yeah. very scary to to think of that possibility happening and you know I'm very grateful that everything turned out for you and and you're back on your feet because it is it's um it's scary to have to go through that it is and a weird quirk here uh sort of relates in relation to your story is they don't know how the infection got there and I think the uh really? the consultant said to me yeah he's only seen it in two patients before and they were old. I was like, ah, oh, okay. So he's never sent in someone young. Uh-huh. And they didn't know how it got there, but they could treat it by testing it. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's, it's a really aggressive infection in my hip. But I had to get to the A&E department in a wheelchair. Uh-huh. And like, uh-huh. I was part of the excruciating pain. You do think, oh, I can't even walk. It was just right. a really weird month, six weeks uh, to like well, change your like immediate life for six weeks. That's, that, that was yeah. tough. For sure. Well, and to have no answers. So yeah, no answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like, well, this has happened to 100 people before you. This is the process. In three weeks, you'll be fine. You know, you're just kind of in that state of limbo. And those unanswered questions, that uncertainty is such a difficult place to sit in. Yeah, real difficult. And it didn't help because I didn't know there's some complications and I got septicemia and all this sort of stuff. So it really was a chaos thing. Yeah, very scary. I'm very very scary. You're fine. But yeah, the, the, to finish on my point, obviously, just the, the bit that scared me was when I had to sign a form to say that in case of the worst case scenario, we might uh-huh. have to have a hip replacement or something uh-huh. like that effect. Uh-huh. Like, okay, uh-huh. I've, got, I've got to sign it. <laughs> I mean, what can you do? Yeah. yeah. What can you do? Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, Mental, right. Right. yeah. It makes it very real, though, when you put your signature on that page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you're sort of half out of it from the morphine, right? Right. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I also want to touch very quickly on the correct terms. Uh, because I think a lot of people, yeah, you know, we're, we're born in the 80s, right? Going into the 90s. I think maybe some of the terms back then are not used now. So what right. terms would you say are acceptable for people to use right now? I So this is, this is a, a difficult question for me to answer because I I recognize and I appreciate this conversation. I try very hard with people that maybe aren't using the correct term to gently educate them, but also... I, for me, it's really important to see how people treat somebody that has a disability versus the words they use, because I think the treatment, and this is again, a personal opinion, but I think the treatment is so much more important than the choice of words. Yes. 
it is a we're in a world right now where there is so much diversity so many terms and so much terminology that can be used correctly or incorrectly and I more than anything all I would say is to treat the people with kindness and respect respect mm-hmm. being the number one thing so terms I dis- disabled disability I think are totally fine okay um it's easier for me to come up with words that you shouldn't use. And I don't know that they're even appropriate to say out loud. So I'm not even going <laughs> okay. to put them up here. <laughs> okay. I, you know what I would say? That, and, and, and here's the other thing. When you think of disabilities, it, there is such a large spectrum of disabilities. Yeah. There's wheelchair users. There's vision impaired. There's hearing impaired. There's um, neurodiversity. So it is a, a difficult thing for me to say what other people would choose. I, I would I would say treat people with respect and when in doubt, ask mm. curiously and 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 ask someone how they would prefer to be addressed and respect that and use that. Great. That's cool. I used I called you a wheelchair super traveler. <laughs> I don't think you know one what? of those before. <laughs> and, that, and to me that that's not offensive at all because yeah. I, I mean that's a compliment to me. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> but like a wheelchair user is fine. That's a yeah, that's absolutely, a cool, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so let's delve into so you're growing up with this disability and you're going off to New York City. It's a bit of an uh-huh. exciting trip. Uh-huh. So I was going to ask actually, was there a trip when you were younger that maybe sparked a bit of travel? I mean, you, you mentioned that one before, but maybe when when you're a bit more older and you can understand, was there like a trip that you went on, or did your parents take you away on road trips? They think, oh, yeah. I just, just want to do so, more. So New York, I was I was five right before kindergarten. Yeah. So that was certainly you know it was a uh, it was pretty young. But it was certainly an eye opener of, oh, my gosh, there's diversity in this world. There's big cities. I had never seen a building more than probably three or four stories high. So, you know, <laughs> that was cool. Um, subways and taxis, you know, all these things that you don't have in little small towns. Um, but what really, really got me going is when I was studying geography, I was in third grade and we were studying the United States geography and there was this beautiful colored map hanging on the wall. And my teacher was saying, you know, there's 50 states, here they are. And talking about, you know, just the different geographic components of all of the states. And I remember thinking, well, I want to go to all of them. I know I've been to Ohio. I know I've been to New York. I know I've been to, you know, the surrounding states around Ohio. So I went home and I told my mom, you know, I'm, I'm probably seven or eight at this point, mom, I have a life goal. I want to go see all 50 states. And she kind of, you know, kind of chuckles a little and she's like, yeah. you know what, you should, you should do that. Of course, you know, she's supporting my life goal. This is, is a great goal. And every summer, my family and I would take a vacation and without me really even knowing it was happen happening, we would start going to different states. So one year we went together as a family to Florida. One year we drove from Ohio all the way to Louisiana. So we went through a couple of states on the way, Kentucky, and I don't know what's on that path. But before we even knew it, before I even knew it, I, I started thinking, I started realizing that she was, I don't even know if it was conscious on her part. It mm. had to have been. Yeah. But saying like, we're going to go start seeing these new places. And it was a few years later, I was probably in sixth grade, 12 or 13 years old. And I, I went through and I started counting and we were, you know, in the thirties and it was like, this is an achievable goal. I might actually be able to do this. <laughs> um, it was fantastic. So by the time I got to college, I had been to all 50 States wow. and that was wonderful. And, but it really sparked me into this whole, like, wow, you can go see the world. It's doable. It's not totally unachievable. 
And I, I went through college, started building my career. And then a few years after I graduated college, I took a trip with my family. Again, we went to Italy and that, that was doable. So then I, you know, then it's all right now I'm in my mid twenties. I'm starting to travel with friends in the U S but then it's okay. Well, let's go to France. Let's go to Spain. Let's go to Tunisia, Morocco, you know, and you start just making these little small ventures and um, before you know it, you start getting to places in the world that you never thought you would get to. And so I, I, I was, I would say around 30 when I said, you know, kind of made my, my, made up this decision that I wanted to see all countries in the world before I die. That's quite late. I think. It, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Mm. I, I don't think I had the exposure to it. I was, you know, before I went to Europe, I was in my mid twenties and that's, oh, wow. I think yeah. it's pretty rare for someone who's on this quest to get out and see the world. Mm. Um, so you're right. I, I think it was pretty late, um, but it's, it's a fantastic goal and I'm, I'm, it's, it's happening. I, you know, I don't know <laughs> when it will be complete. A lot of people ask me, what, what's your goal? And it, you know, the, the world is a, a unique place and there's always difficult places to get to, but I, I want to enjoy my time too. I don't just want to rush through it and check countries off for the sake of checking them off. I think that's the key, isn't it? I think that it's a great goal yeah, to have. Absolutely. I think there's only a few things for me for mine, like, well, how can I do it like financially? Sure. Or so, yeah, like you say, this is difficult. There's like, I don't know how many you, you agree with. Maybe it's like 140 to 50 that were that are easy for yep. our passports, if you like. Yep. Yep. Uh, then it's going to start getting more difficult just because of yep. the visa situations and wars and stuff like that. So absolutely, yeah, it's all those questions to to answer in your mind, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I have a, I'm at 118 countries now. I I always think I have about 20, 25, and then yeah. left, and then it's, oh, it's gonna be <laughs> yeah, there's admin. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And in this time, the early trips to Europe, how was it traveling on airplanes? Was it difficult? Was it like extra admin involved, maybe saying, hey, look, I'm going to need assistance tonight, or was the industry just not set up for it? In the beginning, it's that's, it's a great question. Um, going to Europe, going back to my 20s, it was difficult, and, and it still is. Okay. I, could, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours on all of the airline stories I have. Um, and I, I try to keep things positive, so I don't often talk about them, but I'm happy to dig into them. It's the, the airline industry, and I... It has changed a little bit, but in, in in my opinion, it really hasn't changed much. There's a a, and I don't think this is necessarily true just for this for for the disabled population. But airlines are very much trying to push people through. Get on, get off, get on, get off, get on. Yeah. You know, they're they're trying to make money, and mm-hmm. and I get that. But with that, especially for those populations that need special treatment or unique treatment, it's um, they can be a bit inhumane and that's probably a very harsh word wow strong word yeah yeah it is a very it is a very strong word but it's there are degrading things that happen Mm. and also a very strong word but I I have a lot of strong feelings for it for, for how they they treat disabled passengers and what's really interesting about it is there tends to be a general I will call it mistreatment because I think that they do mistreat their 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 passengers but it varies person to person. And so I always wonder what is the training like that these airlines are giving their employees? Because yeah. some employees are just better at being kind and respecting and treating people with with that dignity that they deserve. And other mm-hmm. employees are just 
pushing pushing them through and there's just you know not not the the respect so maybe they're having a bad day I don't know but it's it, it, we all have bad days and and I, I don't know that we all need to to be so nasty towards people I wonder yeah that's a, there's so many things to to question here isn't there like yeah. for example this might be a wrong assumption would low-cost airlines be worse than like a national carrier for example surprisingly no you would think that you would think that right you would think that those in 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 some ways i think they might be better it's really interesting and and here's the thing though i don't i i fly delta a lot so that's i'm in atlanta that's my hub so i'm not flying the this you know in the u.s i'm not flying spirit or southwest too often just delta is a hub so it tends to be the cheapest and they're my airline of choice but it's um sometimes they're great sometimes they're not and it's a gamble and I think that's the most frustrating part is there's no consistency you just don't know when you when you go in what that that crew member or that staff member what their mindset is going to be so there's this constant wall of defensiveness and anxiety that comes in saying I don't know how they're going to treat me so I'm putting up my barrier without even knowing it because I want to protect myself and I'm very aware of it. I hate it. I don't like it. And I try, you know, I've tried all the tactics, be nice, kill them with kindness, all of that. But (laughs) you get to a point where it's, it's, it's frustrating. And and I think we all have those components in our life, but it is, um, it is frustrating. And it's, um, I've, gosh, the airline stories, you've got me on a tangent now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you want some stories, um, one that comes to mind is when I was um, flying to Micronesia and okay. I, um, my wheelchair, I boarded a flight in Hawaii. So we flew from California, I think San Francisco to Hawaii, Hawaii to Micronesia. In Hawaii, they put a wheelchair on the ta- uh, a tag on the wheelchair, kind of like a baggage uh, yeah. claim tag, but it's, it's delivered to the gate the individual put the wrong destination on it. So I get to Micronesia and it's not there. And so it's this whole, you know, I'm, I'm emotional, like all get yeah. out emotional. I'm crying. I'm angry. I'm trying to keep it under control because you know, there's no point in screaming at the person in Micronesia. They didn't do it, but there there's a level of frustration that I can't, I can't see the Island I came to see. So I, I think from my standpoint, that is certainly the most frustrating part of traveling is the airlines. I try very hard to have empathy to the employees there. I know they've got a lot going on um, and I try to educate them, but it's, it's a big feat. They're, they're a necessary evil from my standpoint. Yeah, because they so, must be such a unique industry in the fact that there's so many factors just for the employees. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I'm talking about is they they might have great training, mm-hmm. but literally before you got on, someone pissed them off and were like, "100 percent," and they're just changed because they're just fed up already. Yep. Like, like if you were just before that person, that could have been totally fine. Like there's all right. these little fact they might have worked three shifts in a row. There might be time zone different. There's so many factors. I'm not saying it's an excuse for them. No, they should I- they should be trained and they should be courteous and. Yeah, for sure. And and I hear you. And so that's why I think I try to have empathy. And and to your point, I don't know who was on that previous flight. And maybe they had another disabled passenger that that had very different needs than mine. Mm. And so, you know, their natural human response would would be to say, right, well, the passenger three hours ago needed this, you're probably going to need that too. Because that spectrum of disabilities is so broad. It's a hard thing 
for any human being to, to understand, you know, all the spectrums of disability. So I do empathize with that completely. And I, I guess my advice for any of the airline crew listening is ask mm-hmm. the, the, the person, treat them like a human being. Whatever they tell you is what they mean. I'm not going to tell you something that I, <laughs> yeah. that I don't want or that I don't mean. So ask and respect the answer. And I think that that just goes a long way. Okay. Another uh, quick fire question here. When you pick your airline and your flight, do you pick your seat? I do. I, well, I try to, assuming that I can, you know, it's... So what's best for you on a on an airplane? So that's a great question. So the airlines like to put wheelchair users into an aisle seat. Um, yeah. It's it's typically easier easier with an aisle chair. The aisle chair is right there next to the the aisle. So you you know priority is an aisle seat. I personally, it's it's not super difficult for me to crawl over to the window. I prefer the window. Okay. For a couple reasons, I usually get on first. So if I'm sitting in the aisle, people have to crawl uh, over me. Yeah. And I also, once I'm on the flight, unless it's super, super, super long, I'm rarely getting up to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So again, if I'm on the aisle, people are crawling back over me and it's just, a, it's an awkward, uncomfortable situation. So I, I prefer the window. Okay. And re- linked to your wheelchair story with the one go missing. Uh-huh. What gives me anxiety on all the process? It's just the casualness sometimes of how they do things like just chucking your bag on there and they're chucking it over there and yes. it's just the tags don't I'm like oh is the tag right I, I just get a bit anxious about how they do things sometimes I get it they need to get through quickly and I appreciate 100%. it but sometimes it can give you I, a bit of anxiety. I very rarely will check a bag for that reason because I don't oh, like okay. to get lost you know I try to yeah. try to pack a small bag and, and put it in the in the cabin with me but I, you know, I don't always have that option with the wheelchair. Occasionally there will be a closet I can put it in depending on the country and the, the, you know, the size of the plane, but yes, exactly. It's like, once I, once I get out of that chair, it's like, oh, please, please get to where I need to go. Please be in one piece, please work, you know, all of those things. So it's, it's to your point, the casualness of how, how people's belongings are treated. Okay. And to keep this like on a positive note, what are yes. some of the best air- <laughs> what are some of the best airlines that you've experienced that are good for this? Um, Delta has been really good. Um, and again, that's hit or miss, but Delta has been good. Um, Fiji Airways was really oh. good when I was doing some of the South Pacific islands that they were fantastic. Um, gosh, those are probably the two that come to mind. Solomon Airlines, I, Solomon Air, Air Solomon Airlines. Um, okay. I flew those in the South Pacific too. They were really great. Oh yeah, I've flown them before. Okay. You know, yeah. it's interesting though. I'm, I'm thinking this through and I'm thinking I said Solomon Airlines. I said Fiji Airlines. You're in the Pacific Islands. It's like this beautiful place. <laughs> yeah. The people are always happy. Yeah. So, you know, there's not a ton of regulation in that, in those little <laughs> small islands. So maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah, as I say, like Fiji Airways, oh, just super fun. Like they, yeah, they play a exactly. little song as you get off, and yeah, I can yeah, imagine that. Exactly, everybody's yeah, there okay. for a good time, or the majority of people are. So it's you know nobody's in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Okay, I was going to ask more questions later, but as we're here, we'll, I've got some more questions about it before we get yeah. to the countries that you travel to. Uh, the first one is, in your experience, I know you travel to a lot of countries. Is there an area of the world or area of countries that are just better set up for it, or is it? pretty much the same across the board Mm -hmm. so absolutely the nordic countries denmark norway sweden finland all of those are 
fantastic when it comes okay. to accessibility and and just the, the treatment of of the disabled population. Um, beautiful countries too. A little yep. more expensive in some parts of the world, but beautiful. Um, Canada, the United States are are great too. Australia, New Zealand have um, great infrastructure also. Yeah. I have not been to Japan yet. I'm hoping to get there next year. So I, I think Japan will be, Japan and Korea will be fantastic too. Oh, they um, must be. They're just so nice. Yeah. yeah they, they, exactly. they would accommodate anything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and just the infrastructure, tend, it appears to be, from what I've seen, relatively modern and and they have you know all of those ramps and elevators and things like that. Hey, yeah, just a quick one. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as T-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcast, and other stuff. Thank you. Yeah, from my, my experience in Japan, they have a lot of accessibility. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, just, they just think about stuff like that. They're just on it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's a cultural It's a cultural thing, you know? Yeah. Um, can we touch on maybe some of the worst parts or worst sure. areas? Yeah. Um, in full transparency, I have not done a huge amount of Africa. I've done South Africa, which was not too bad, actually. Kenya, Morocco. Um, so I can't speak to too much of Africa, but my gut tells me for probably good reason that it will be a difficult part of the world mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons, but accessibility specifically. Um, Southeast Asia does not have the infrastructure. What I would say about Southeast Asia, I'm talking Indonesia, uh, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, um, that, that part of the world, they don't have the infrastructure, but the people there are incredibly helpful. And the treatment that I get is, um, it's top notch. So while they might not have ramps to cross the street, if I get to a curb and I can't get down or I can't get up, inevitably several people will come over to help me. And that might mm-hmm. mean lifting up the entire chair to bring it down, cross the street and lift it back up with, with me in it. So I think that's kind of the, it, it's it's a frustrating place because it's not accessible, but it's a very refreshing place because you see the side of humans mm-hmm. that is just so heartwarming and a reminder that there is so much good in this world. And, um, you know, these people certainly don't have the economies of other countries, but they're evolving in a different way without that infrastructure, if you will. Yeah, it's very interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting because I I just think back to like a country like Laos, for example. I don't know if you've been to Laos. Mm -hmm. Yes, Um, love it. So much of their population are disabled because of the war. Absolutely. And there's Mm -hmm. still mines there and stuff like that. So I kind of got the feeling they're they're kind of on top of it in terms of helping people. Maybe not infrastructure Mm -hmm. because they're Mm -hmm. quite a poor country, but... Yeah, I've got the feeling that they're trying to bring awareness to disability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you you make such a good point. Because of the war, there are so many disabled people in that part of the world. And kind of a story that sticks out to me. I was in Vietnam. This was pre-pandemic. And I, we were driving down a road, down a road, and there was a roadside stand. It was kind of a touristy place, but there was it was a 
the entire, I guess it was a shop. I guess you can buy different things. It was little stands, kind of like a flea market. Hmm. And it was run entirely by disabled individuals. And many had lost limbs or had physical deformities, but they created these beautiful pieces of artwork or ceramic. And, you know, they there was this sense of, we have this population of people that we really want to integrate into society and they're limited with what they can do, but they can do this. And we're going to give them some opportunity to use the skills that they do have and um, be part of the, the society. Yeah, that's great. I do love Vietnam. Yeah. I think they've got some good things yeah. going. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, we've gone through airlines, biggest challenges. Oh, yeah, we mentioned biggest sort of challenges as well, the infrastructure and stuff like that. Um, do you always travel solo or with a group or with your partner? Um, it, some of both. Some of both. Okay. So before I left my job, I had always traveled with family or friends. So when I left, I wanted my partner to go with me very, very much, but he was loving his career. He, you know, he said, go, like, you need to do this as a self-discovery trip for you. I will meet you along the way, you know, every couple months or weeks and just go and have fun. So I left, I was by myself for about, I think six weeks. We met for a week then he went back to the US. I continued traveling around. So I, for that whole year, it was the majority that was by myself, but I did have, he met me a few times and some family and some friends met me for, you know, a week here and there. So to answer your okay. question, a little bit of both. I guess the obvious question is as a solo traveler, is it harder? Uh -huh. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Um, it's harder and it's, it's what I, I, again, I like to keep things positive, but I think when I'm, well, I know when I'm with, when I'm with family or friends, they are there to help me and other people see that, oh, she's with her partner. He will help her if she needs help. When I'm by myself, and this is what I love about my travels is I get to see the world through a very, very unique lens that very few people are, are experiencing, but kind of like I was telling you with the Southeast Asia, to see people kind of come out of the woodwork, very unexpected people on the surface to step up and reach out a lending hand. And I'm relying on strangers. They they see me and they, you know, they naturally assume I need help. And most of the time I do mm -hmm. when I'm by myself. And to to experience that by myself is really, really rewarding and very special. It's hard to put into words how meaningful that is yeah because you can travel as a solo traveler and it's a similar experience to your friend that might travel as a solo traveler but um the way that people are, are reaching out and the way i experience it just feels really special and unique kind of gives you a bit of faith doesn't it <laughs> it really it does absolutely yeah. it does and it's been my favorite part of it when i say i, I needed a refresh on humanity i got that i saw that's so people good. around the world and it wasn't a specific country or a specific part of the world i went literally all the way around the world and i had people from all you know all over the world just reaching out and helping in in different ways so it was really cool to see that yeah and that's just a, a real kind of reaffirming that there are, there are good people because you do hear so much it's negativity so much and bad stuff especially right at the minute you know like there's so much going it's, on it is and it's heavy and you know i pull up the news every day and I, I see all yeah. those negative things. And then it's like, remember, you know, this person in this country and the things they said, the things they did for you. And it's that, you know, that one person can change your life and, and remind you that there is good in, in all people. Yeah, that's great. And also within travel, you must do lots of activities. 
Uh-huh. So I'm talking about maybe you want to go, uh, obviously cafes and restaurants are a thing, coffee shops, but also maybe like walking up a hill or doing a little walk. Like, are these mm-hmm. things nowadays okay for you or is there still some challenges with those? Um, it depends on the activity. I'll never climb Mount Everest, but no. you know, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would love to. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, I I try very much to do as much as I can. And there are always people, whether it's family or a complete stranger, inevitably someone will come and say, You want to go over there? Well, there's a lot of steps. Get on my back, I will piggyback you. Or how can I help you? Or you know, it might be an employee. Hey, if you get in my truck, we can drive around the back way to, you know, Anchor Watt and, you know, mm. we don't have to go up this big hill. So get in my truck. We're going to drive around the back way or I'm going to drive you up this hill or just little things like that, that it's, I don't stop myself from seeing things. And the majority of the people in the world want me to see their country, their culture, their, their tourist sites, their history. And so they're really proud when they can help me to see those parts of the their country that's all awesome people again isn't it that's great exactly yep and also a question not got here actually accommodation what do you where do you normally stay is it hotels is it is it hostels is it uh airbnbs like how what's the easiest for you all of the above depends on the country depends on the place depends on safety um hotels tend to have some level of standard yeah so i like hotels I do think some hotels can take away from the experience. I really love guest houses where it's, you know, 10, eight, 10 rooms and you get to know the owner and they get to know me. But again, there's some level of, is this accessible? I've done hostels as well. Um, It it depends on the country, to be honest. It depends on the country. From my standpoint, there's always a lot of looking at pictures, sometimes sending them a message. Is this accessible? Do you have an elevator? Are there ramps? That kind of thing. Um, So it just really depends on the country. Yeah, I think I was going with the hotel aspect there. They must have, in each country, just a standard. Exactly. Whether, whether it's good or not, I'm not sure, but they must just all keep to some sort of level of yeah, uh, what they yeah. have to, to offer. The definition of accessible varies by country. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I've uh, got a few more questions here. This is quite a big question. What changes would you make to make it easier and more accessible? Um, I think we touched on airlines. Um, the airlines, but- for sure. Outside of that, um, outside of that, it's so hard. It's so hard because I look at the majority of the world, and I will say the majority because I think it is the majority of the world. When you look in a geographical space, the majority of the world has so much history. And if you're going to try to put ramps or accessible bathrooms Mm. into, I'll reference Anchor Wat again, you're going to have a really hard time and you're destroying a, a piece of the history. So how, how do you make that accessible? I don't have the answer and I'm, I, you know, I would love to say, here's the solution to it all, but it, it takes some financial means. It takes a lot of thought. It takes cultural changes. So I, I think that the world can get there. It just will take a lot of time. Yeah. I think you're right there about the history thing. That's what I had in my mind. Cause I'm like, oh, uh-huh. from, being from UK, quite uh-huh. a, lot, a lot of historical exactly. stuff. Yeah. I'm like, oh, how yeah. can you change or make it more accessible because you are going to have to in- interfere with old stuff exactly like. exactly and I selfishly I want to see all of those things but I also know that I'm very fortunate to be able to do what I'm doing and if I can't get as close to some landmark because it's not accessible mm. 
I'm still grateful that I got to the point that I did. And so I don't want to destroy the world's history so that I can be selfish and, you know, get inside of a building. And, and, you know, I, and there's, there's a level of, you know, acceptance, I think that comes with that. And, right. and that's okay. You know, we can't all, we can't all see everything from different lenses. And so I, I try to, to dwell on the positive. Yeah. Just think for my home city in Norwich, there's a uh-huh. huge cathedral yeah, uh, and a castle and they've got the really old pub from the, I don't know, 1400s or something like it's really old. Uh-huh. But it's uh-huh. just cobbled streets everywhere. I'm like, oh, yeah. how would you move freely in cobbled streets? There are pavements on the side, so mm-hmm. I guess it is accessible now. But if I was to take you up the most historic street, uh-huh. even the pavement on the side is small. Yep. I think your wheelchair would fit, but I'm not. Com- I'm, I'm not sure. I'm like, oh, how yeah. would I show you the street? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But then a- you think about destroying that cobbled street. You do that to the whole street. It, it's no longer the same. It doesn't have <laughs> yeah. the same feel. It doesn't have the same sounds it's you know it's yeah, just yeah. and so like there's so much in that you know so much history in that so I don't have the answer to that I get yeah. asked that question a lot it's a it's a really difficult one I guess the advantage for you is the the newer countries who are expanding and creating yeah. things yep. I guess they've got a free shot they can go and create yeah. all this accessibility stuff. absolutely absolutely and when you think of the UK so the town that you're referencing might not be very accessible for me but I can go to London and London will be much more accessible so you know you you win some you lose some and Mm. I again don't necessarily love that that mentality but that is life and there's a certain acceptance that comes with this is the cards I have I'm going to make the best of it yeah I love that actually okay that's great and talking about places let's go to some countries that you travel to yeah we got we've got three in the list here let's start with Cuba because that is actually a country I want to travel to next I think we're talking before we recorded that uh-huh. Uh, I might travel some in the new year and that's one of the uh-huh. countries yeah. so first off Cuba when did you visit and how long for I was in Cuba for about a week maybe a little less um it was I want to say 2017 okay. 2018 yeah it was so I have a U.S. passport and it was yeah. during the time where we weren't able to go and then it opened up and I called my sister and I said all right we can go. I don't know how long this is going to last. Let's go because they <laughs> might shut, you know, we, they might shut down the the visitation for U.S. citizens again. And so a couple weeks later, we were on a flight. It was when, if, if anyone, if any of the listeners have read about Cuba, it's like, they say it's like going back to the 60s. Yeah. And it is like going back to the 60s. <sighs> wow. And it is so fun because there's, there's no internet. There's a, there's an internet park. So once a day you walk over to this little park, all the people are there on their phones, you know, checking in with their family. And then you walk away and there's no internet. And there's, for me, there's just something about being away from all of that technology and just taking it in and absorbing what's around you. So that's really special. And the people are just fantastic. I, it was me and my sister when we went and we just walked around the streets the, the first evening we got there. The next day, they all remembered us. They, I mean, oh, wow. you know, of course, two blonde, two blonde girls going through the streets in, <laughs> in Cuba might, might have something to do with it, but they, they knew our names. They knew where we were from. Like, they just, they, and they were so friendly and so welcoming. We felt incredibly safe and it was just, the food was great. The culture was great. And the cars are from the 60s like it was it was so cool it was it was really cool so highly recommend it. I'm excited for you to get there and you went to Havana for a week Havana yeah we went to Havana we did take a day trip out to one of the beaches it was beautiful 
I I know there's a ton of beaches in, in Cuba, but I loved Havana, the city, more than mm-hmm. the beach. Um, just personal preference, and it could have just been the day that we were there, but Havana was so much fun. And what is the situation now for U.S. citizens to Cuba? I don't believe that U.S. citizens are able to go to Cuba. Right. I Don't quote me on that because I haven't followed it too much, but I, I don't think that they're able to get in on a U.S. passport. Can now, Cubans go into U.S.? No. I don't think oh, so. Right, so it's both ways. Wow. Correct. I, I, don't, I don't think so. Now, one thing that a U.S. citizen could do, I believe this is a possibility, is get to Canada and fly from Canada directly to Cuba. Yes. So my next point was going to be for even for us on UK passports, mm-hmm. if you go via US, there's a different visa thing to fill out and yeah, it's more it's, expensive. Exactly. So you, you just need to avoid US going into Cuba. But exactly. yeah, if that, if that works for US citizens where you can go to Canada or go to Mexico and across. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. It's an ever changing environment. So if yeah. anyone's interested, do your research. Don't just get on a plane. And what was your experience with just the day to day, like uh, cash only, I'd imagine? And also, ha- yeah. how did you change your money? Cash only. Um, your ATM, my ATM card at least, did not work there. So the majority yeah. of ATM cards will not work. We went with US dollars. They will take euros also. Okay. But when you, I can't remember where we did. It was either at the airport or there was a shop in the in the village. There's probably multiple of them. But you take your US dollars in or your euros, and you just exchange them right there. And okay, that's great. You want to make sure you bring plenty because if you run out, you are pretty stuck Stuck. no no credit cards no debit cards no (laughs) so we went with a little surplus just in case we you know had a little too much fun or needed some extra spending money (laughs) did you go uh like sample the nightlife in havana like in terms of i've got a feeling like you go to some places have a little dance and stuff like that yeah we did and it we didn't you know there was i I don't know if they have this or not but we didn't do like underground bars or like crowded Mm. bars we hung out in the street and there was dancing ah. in the street. There was drinking in the street. There was, it was just like a, a fun party in the street. And it oh, wasn't, wow. it wasn't like a crowded, you know, a bunch of drunk people in the street. It was just like a fun outing in the street. And it went late into the night. And I don't normally do that stuff when I'm traveling for safety reasons, mostly, but yeah. it felt very safe. There were two of us and we just had a fantastic time. It was awesome. Oh, just the music and exactly. like the community vibe and stuff like yeah, that. Maybe. You can you can just feel the energy of everyone yeah. just having a great time. Oh, that's so cool. And yeah. the cheapness of it all, was it quite cheap? It was, yeah, it was very cheap. It was very yeah. cheap, yeah. I'd expect yeah. that, I think. I think maybe now it might be slightly more expensive because they're opening sure. up a bit more. But yeah, sure, I, sure. I think I was looking at Airbnbs and like in Havana you can get yeah. a pretty decent apartment for very cheap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had an Airbnb and the Airbnb owner was fantastic. I think his first name was Pedro. And he called every morning and you know, <laughs> on, on a landline because there's no cell phone. Of course. He yeah. calls on the landline. We wake up because, you know, we're asleep. It rings. And he's like, I just want to make sure everything's okay. And, you know, you can just feel his like passion for hosting <laughs> people. And it was really, really cool. I think what's interesting, uh, Airbnb is fine. But uh, Booking.com, I don't think, or Hostel World, you can't use. Um, mm-hmm. My friend was saying that you just speak to your like Pedro, and he uh-huh. probably brings someone up and someone out somewhere like another town, probably a family member, and say, "Hey, you yep. can stay there." I think that's how it works. Yep. You've got to get yeah. speaking to some people. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's very much a handshake type of culture. And what's the Spanish like there? Is it uh, easy to understand? 
I was, I was not, I did not know much Spanish when I went there, but the little that I did. Yeah. I think it was, the accent mm. was pretty neutral. It was not yeah. difficult. It was not difficult. Yeah. What place. Yeah. So I'm excited to go. Uh, you, yes. you wet the appetite there. Yes. You will have a fantastic <laughs> time. No doubt. Awesome. Okay. The next place is a very unusual place for the podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, only a few people have mentioned it because it's a place that I think gonna, hardcore travelers would try to get to because it's, it's quite unknown is Kiribati. Uh-huh. So can you tell the listeners where the hell is that? And <laughs> it's pretty small, right? It's very small. So Kiribati, Kiribati, you will hear both. Um, yeah. uh, it is in the South Pacific. So a lot of people know where Fiji at, is at. I flew mm. there from Fiji. It was an hour and a half flight from Fiji. So it's its own little island country. And it is one of my favorite places in the world. It I don't even, I want to say it was life-changing, but I, I don't know exactly what it was that was life-changing for me, but mm. I, it is, it is predicted to be underwater in 30 to 50 years, if not sooner, maybe 20, um, just with the rising seawaters. And it's very evident when you're there, the people there are very, very aware that they will likely be displaced within their lifetimes. And Fiji has said, come to our island we will take you new zealand and australia have said come you're welcome to be in mm. in our homes um but they don't want to so yeah, of course. It's, it's their home fiji fiji is an island and has similar culture but it's very different so they they joke about you know the next tsunami that comes through and we're all gone and they just have this very light-hearted attitude about the potential of a cyclone or a tsunami coming through and they just kind of accept that this is their home and, and they are not leaving they are so passionate about their home but the island is itself I I landed on one side and I drove down a one-way street and you can look out to the right look out to the left and see water on both sides it's just a two-way street there's homes on one side you you know kind of see between the homes and the other side Mm -hmm. is just water so it's this narrow strip it's just a long island Um, and the people that I, I didn't have a lot of plans when I got there they have other islands you can take a boat to. They're all sand covered, no no asphalt or cement. So I opted yeah. to stay on the main island because wheelchairs and sand. If you have, if you've ever ridden a bicycle in the sand, you can understand. <laughs> um, so I opted to stay on the main island. Didn't really have a lot of plans, and the the hotel that I was staying at was more like a guest house. Yeah. Um, some some of the workers there, I had gotten in around six or seven p.m. They said, "Hey, when we get done working, we're we're going over." to do karaoke at this place right next door you should come along and again this is not something I normally do so I'm you know I'm like, I don't know you know it's dark I don't really know the area yeah. I don't I don't want to be drinking in a in, in this place but they, they, they convinced me and we just had a fantastic time and hung out all the next day and you know they had me swimming in the ocean and it was just such a welcoming culture and beautiful beautiful people beautiful water and beautiful islands um on top of it but the people are the people are always what gets gets get get me the most yeah how unusual is that though that you go to a place where they they've kind of accepted yeah it's gonna happen and you can't do nothing about it in terms of the nature they can't they one of the things that's really interesting have a lot of plastic um on their islands from drinking Uh, water and plastic yeah so they take all of their trash mostly plastic and the waters are rising. So this island, if you think of a long strip of land, it's becoming very narrow and they're not going to have a lot of space for homes. And so what they're doing is they take all the plastic, they pile it up on one side of the island, compact it, go out 
further into the ocean, pull out a bunch of sand, put sand on top of the plastic, and then they build their homes on top of it. Right. Okay. And so it's this creative, I don't know that it's the best way, but it's, it's working for them. And it's just, they're saying, we are not leaving. If we have to build our homes on top of plastic trash, that's what Mm. we'll do. And, but they accept their fate and um, they just, they're amazing people. Cool. And, and from a morbid traveler point of view, uh-huh. Well, you better get there quick if you want to see it. Well, in a, from a morbid traveler standpoint, <laughs> I'm ashamed to say that is why I went. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, I don't think there's a there's a shame in that because you're going to invest in local mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and probably make it more aware. It, I don't know mm-hmm. what we can do, but yeah, I don't think there's a shame in that. No, I think it does speed their infrastructure and, you know, it gives them the some financial needs to help with their economy. And, you know, when I am there, it's there's this very huge awareness of use the the reusable water bottle you have if you can mm. you don't need to have your air conditioning on in the room you know everyone else is sleeping with their window open these these people certainly yeah. do not have air conditioning in their homes live like the locals and so you know I try to do that as much as I can especially in places like that where it's it's just a matter of time for them and logistically I guess people need to get to Fiji or or Hawaii Fiji. I think Fiji is the only okay. airline that you have to go to Fiji to get there. Got it. So people yep. need to get to Fiji. Yeah. yeah. And as it's such a small country, I guess there's a limited things you can do, but I guess you just want to be with the people, right? And there are, I know a lot of other travelers that have been there and some that I had met kind of, you know, along the way had gone out to some of the other islands. They're very mm. small and there's, there's people that live there and they, you can, you can stay with them in their home and they will, you know, go out you'll go out coconut picking you'll go out fishing you go out and do all of those things ride bicycle um you know through the compacted sand i didn't do that because it there there is no asphalt or no hard surface and i just Mm. didn't want to get myself in a situation where i'm just stuck and isolated so yeah um if you do get to kiribati i do recommend get on a boat and go check out one of those other islands if you're able to physically do you know the country of your guest house that you stayed at country sorry the name the, of the, the guest name, house yes, yeah it was called george's hotel got it so that's a yeah. cool place maybe people to stay yeah i think there's only two actual hotels on the main island okay so right. george's hotel <laughs> and, and then another one okay that's fair enough and uh, just lo- other logistical stuff uh for budget is it expensive because of the situation or is it actually quite reasonable i would say it's moderate it was okay. i've certainly been to places that are much much um much more inexpensive certainly been to places much more expensive i would say it was moderate and the currency they use they use ooh, you're, you're quizzing me here i want to say the australian dollar okay they might have their own local currency cool that would be that's like yeah, a <laughs> i think it's i think they're using the australian dollar yeah if they've got local yeah. currency that's something just a almost yeah. keep like a little bit of it because that's gonna yeah. Yeah. in theory not be needed and uh gosh you have me really questioning i'll have to google it when we hang up I'm yeah. Not sure. <laughs> yeah okay that's great kiribati okay uh the reason i've had it once in the podcast because another podcast has said that someone listened to his podcast from there and you can believe it because yeah. I, I guess there's not not many people there yeah, and the yeah, fact it's, that it's someone true, there yeah. has listened to a podcast that's pretty yeah crazy. yeah <laughs> okay and the third country you've listed is cambodia we touched on Angkor Wat. Uh, yes. this is a classic Southeast Asia country that people go to amazing yeah Yeah, it's amazing and I think the the thing that I love about Cambodia is it's hard I shouldn't say I love but 
the thing that I, Cambodia was a really, this was before I, I, before the pandemic. So this was years ago. It was really a turning point in my travel where I was traveling out, you know, lots of places in Europe, the the Caribbean, lots of just like vacation-y type places. And, yeah. you know, I'm having wine at dinner. I'm having a great time. But Cambodia really was one of the first places where my eyes were really opened to the harshness that exists in this world. And the there was this huge educational component that I had not ever experienced before. And it was it really overtook me because the, the killing fields, the, the genocide that they had been through not that long ago. Yeah. And the way that these people overcame all of that and welcomed me into their country, they weren't judgmental, they were positive, they were happy. And on top of that, it's a beautiful country. It's yeah. just, I mean, you know, aside from the people that just the, the aesthetics of it are beautiful. And it was, it was just, it was a really, it was a turning point for me to say, I want to get out and see some more meaningful parts of the world, not the Europe and the Caribbean and other places of those world aren't meaningful. This for me personally, Cambodia, Cambodia really touched me in a way that I said, I need to start to understand more of the world and how it all kind of comes together. Yeah, I think I quoted on before on the podcast that that's the one country in Southeast Asia. So the classic trip, you go for three, six yep. months, whatever. Yep. Yep. Hedonistic. You probably did a lot of partying, but you probably get to Cambodia, not knowing much about it. Yeah. And when you when you go and see is that prison twenty one or the yep. Kidding Fields, you're yep. kind of like, ah, oh, oh god, this happened like four years ago, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. I think it, I think yeah. it just it throws a few travelers like, oh god, yeah, that you probably grew up a little bit there because you realize that some of the horrors are just awful. Yeah. And the things that humans can do to humans. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and to your point, I went in pretty blind to it all thinking, mm, oh, yeah, <laughs> this, this is going to be a cheap country. I've heard it's yeah. wonderful. I'm going to have a great time. And I'm just hit with this brick wall of here's the reality of yeah. Cambodia. And um, I, I, obviously all of that is very horrible, but it was a good thing for me because it was a point where I said, I need to start experiencing my travel differently. This is a patron shout out to Laura from the Swamp Soup Stickers, who has contributed £5 to the podcast on my Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. Really appreciate it. And it helps the podcast to keep going in the future. If you're interested, head to the show notes where you'll find a link to my Patreon. The website address is patreon.com forward slash Wiganet Travel Podcast. For five English pounds, you will receive some trendy stickers from myself and the post a shout out on each episode and also my digital travel planner by email thank you for your support yeah i think we went to the king of hills that was tough what we're a little bit disappointed with is afterwards our tuk-tuk driver asked a really strange timing if we want to go and shoot a cow um because you can go shoot um like big bazookas and uh-huh. and like uh-huh. grenades and stuff you can uh-huh. pay uh-huh. not very much money to go and do that in Cambodia uh-huh. if, you want, if you want to do that but the uh-huh. timing after going to Kingfields Museum <laughs> and then been offered nah mate it's just a rock we don't want to shoot yeah. a cow we just want to yeah. go back and have a tea yeah exactly <laughs> and just like let this settle and yeah you know, process it a little bit yeah yeah, yeah for sure sounds very interesting uh yeah Cambodia is it's just a great country to go and see Angkor Wat I went twice uh-huh. Uh, six seven years apart changed a lot um, uh-huh. now it's much more i would say accessible um, yeah for sure i think for there's sure. like they've built a new like center where you can get your tickets and stuff it yep. just seems yep. to be a bit more modern now 
Yeah, we had a, I was with my, my mom and my boyfriend when we went, we had a tuk-tuk driver who, he picked us up at the airport, which was really cool. I've never been picked up at an airport in a tuk-tuk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I got picked up the airport with yeah, tuk-tuk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it was cool. so cool. <laughs> um, but he, we ended up hanging out with him the whole week and he drove us around and he, like I was telling you earlier, he was able to bring us to some of those like, oh, come around this way and we'll get you, you know, we'll get you as close as possible. So it was really nice to have him there and he kind of snuck us through some secret pathways. Oh, nice. How is that traveling in a tuk-tuk? Um, it's interesting. It's, you know, you like you get in, it's like put the wheelchair kind of in front of me, half on my lap. It, it yeah. pulls up, it collapses, but it's like, hang on to this for dear life. So you've got, you know, you've got one arm on the chair, one on the edge of the tuk-tuk because you don't want to fall off yourself and yeah. you make it work. Yeah, uh, I, I would recommend that. The only problem we had with the tuk-tuk driver is he parked himself. In amongst uh-huh. a thousand other tuk tuks, and we couldn't uh-huh. remember what he, what the tuk tuk looked like. So trying of to course. find it was like a knee on a haystack. Um, yeah, quite interesting. of course, of course. Yeah. But yeah, that's great. Okay, Cambodia is awesome. Okay, we're gonna got a few more questions before we move on to your own like um, blogs, websites, and stuff like yep. that. Is there any countries that you travel to that just wasn't an enjoyable experience as a whole? Maybe it's a mix of accessibility, but also it just wasn't what you thought, maybe, or didn't enjoy it at all. This question is common and I, it's, a, oh, it's, okay. a, right. it's a hard question because I think to your point, every country depends on the weather, the people you're with, how well did you sleep that night? Did yeah. you, you know, did you get sick? You know, all of those things. If I had to choose a, for lack of a better term, least favorite country, I would say Morocco. That being said, I do not think it was Morocco, the country. I think I, I think I was with people that I didn't necessarily enjoy I was didn't sleep well. I think it was just a, a set of circumstances. Okay. And to say it was even my least favorite, I, I don't want to put it at the bottom of the list, but mm. it's not one that I'm dying to go back to. Okay. I think the reason I chuck those questions in because my podcast is very positive about travel, uh-huh. but I, yeah. I, I do think you have to chuck in a few questions that aren't positive yeah, all the time because sure. there's some tough for parts sure. of travel, right? Well, and I, I think all travelers have a place that they say, mm, glad I was there, don't have a desire to go back. Yeah, and that's okay. And again, it's not anything with the people or the place. It's just, you know, there's other places I need to go see. I I want to see all the countries in the world. So it's yeah, I've got a lot, I've got a <laughs> lot of ground to cover. Yeah. <laughs> and a, an extra bonus place because it's not a country technically; it's a continent, Antarctic. Uh huh. So what was that experience like? That was one of my most favorite experiences okay it was a dream trip um gosh antarctica it so we i went with my family and my partner on this one um this was just last year not even a year ago so we flew down to the southern tip of argentina which i was uh, the town down there mm-hmm. we got on a boat and we have to drive or not we but we were on a boat with 150 other people and we're okay we're sailing over the Drake Passage, which is the roughest body of open water in the world. And it is, it is rough. You know, you're bouncing back and forth. Like I stayed in bed for the first 24 hours. I got up to get some food and then got back in bed. You know, you're taking wow. medicine and everything. And then two and a half days later, you wake up at 5 a.m. The boat's not moving. And it's very obvious that the boat's not moving because you're not rolling around on your yeah. bed. And it's like, we're here. So I remember it was 5 a.m., the sun was up the whole time because you know we're at the bottom of the planet but our cabin we didn't we we got the very low you know low grade cabin we're in the, the basement of the boat we don't have windows so we know it's 5 a.m and we get up we walk out to the deck and 
it's like we're in a different planet. I, you know, we had been yeah. shook around. I, I've obviously not been to outer space, but you, you picture, you know, you, the, yeah, yeah. the, the, the astronauts bouncing around. That's what it felt like. And then all of a sudden it's calm and there's just white everywhere and yeah. just beautiful. So it was fantastic experience. We did, we had an option to do kayaking which is something I can do. So okay. I was like, yeah. yes, I want to kayak. We kayaked uh, for two days for a few hours. Uh, um, got to see whales and penguins and seals God. and tons of icebergs. I mean, super, super cool. And then one night we had an optional excursion to sleep um, under the stars. They call it under the stars, although yeah. it never really got dark. And so we did that. It was <laughs> a bittersweet experience. It, they the weather was incredibly windy and they had kind of told us after we got back, if they would have known, they wouldn't have brought us out into that, that level of elements. Right. But we, we get into these, they call it a bivy bag and it's essentially a thermal waterproof sleeping bag. Everybody gets their own and you're, you're just laying on the ground and we get in and I think we're going to listen to the sounds of the, the whales. Yeah. You know, we're going to hear the <laughs> penguins mating and all of these cool things. And about an hour after we all lay down, you know, we're all kind of chatting quietly. It starts to snow and about 40 mile an hour wind comes through and it does not stop. So it was pretty brutal. And I, there were five, five, me plus four in my party. We all cried at some point thinking like, oh my God, are we going to die here? Will they even <laughs> retrieve our bodies? You know, we had this, these horrible images, but um hindsight is obviously 2020 and i'm so glad i did it super cool yeah. experience difficult um from an accessibility standpoint lots mm. of piggy lots of piggyback rides um wheelchairs and snow don't do well kind of like yeah. the sand um so lots of piggyback rides but the kayaking was definitely something i could do get right in the kayak from mm. the boat that we were on so i got to see things that way um i did that a lot of other people did some hiking or you know wandering around on the snow yeah. but it's that whole altering, you know, how you see things and, and that's okay. So Antarctica, definitely once in a lifetime trip. Yeah. If anyone can get there, highly recommend it. Um, little trick for folks if you are wanting to get there because it is costly. If you if you have time and you can get to Ushaiwa, often the cruise companies will get last minute cancellations for couples or families that are sick or mm -hmm. have a family emergency or, you know, whatever reason they can't come. and they will sell that room at half price last minute Ooh, okay. because they it's empty. So they may as well get some money for it. And yeah, I know they can't get full price last minute. So if you have the time and you're really wanting to get there, mm. that is an option to think about. So get to Ushuaia and Argentina, get to mm -hmm. chill out there for a bit and just. Yeah. Yeah. And Ushuaia was a beautiful nice. town. Yeah. 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 That's mean, great. Yeah. So it's not, you know, you're not sitting out in the middle of nowhere. There's things to do, but you know, get there, check out the, but you know, there's a couple different tour companies and see if you can get on a, you know, a last minute cancellation and mm. often it works. I've heard some travelers do it for pretty inexpensively. So, wow. it's a great tip. Okay. Yeah. Random question about snow. If it's hard snow, would the wheelchair be okay? Yes. Yeah. If it's hard snow. Yes. Kind of, you know, compacted down. Same yeah. With compacted. Sand. Yeah, yeah. Same with the sand. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess Antarctica maybe has quite soft snow because it snows all the time, right? It depends on the weather. Yeah, yeah, it depends on the weather and um, the obviously the location. The hard part with Antarctica is it can be hard in one area and then you take a step and you fall. Uh, you know, not, not that you fall, you know, it's not like a big hole, but, you know, your foot yeah. goes in or whatever. And so it's you just have to be careful. OK, got it.
Okay, my last question for travels is, I haven't put this on here, is because you're part of a lot of the traveling communities, have you been to anywhere that's unusual in terms of, you know, like you're part of that, maybe some travel communities where they go to like all these obscure islands and uh-huh. out, out there places. Have you done any of those obscure places? I guess I would ask what is obscure because in my mind, nothing is obscure. No, okay, um, fair enough. <laughs> um, you know, Kiribati, for example, I think yeah. a lot of people would say it's obscure. obscure. Um, Antarctica, kind of. Nothing is coming to mind, although okay. I'm sure I've got something. I just, it's not coming to mind. Yeah, you, know, sure you, you know, there's like islands that are hard to get to and like you know, Tristan yeah. da Cunha or Buba Island or like Svalbard at the top, like any of those sort of places. I that... haven't been to any of those. Hmm. Um, I mean, of course, I want to, I would love to. <laughs> yeah, I would love to, but nothing is coming to mind. So I'll say no to that question. That's cool. That's good. That's my last question. And I'm going to move on to just a bit about your blog, speaking events, social media, website and stuff like that. My first question you do have a Guinness World Record. So what is that? My Guinness World Record is um, most countries traveled to in one year using a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, that's the key, key part there. So yeah, so I had 66 countries when I traveled on my year around the world. Or, you know, when I when I quit my yeah. job and I was traveling, I hit 66 countries. So I, I want to caveat that with a few things. Guinness World Record counts as long as you stepped into that country and you have a stamp in your passport and a boarding pass. You know, that can be a train ticket, an airline ticket, that type of thing. Okay. So I personally don't count on my own roster of countries if I'm just going to an airport yeah. and laying over. That does count for Guinness. Um, so there were a few countries that were there. I had already been to all of those countries. So I laid over in India once and I had been to India on a separate trip. I think I laid over in Paris and didn't leave the airport, but I've been to Paris a couple of times. Um, so I didn't, I, I didn't cheat, but I, I do want to preface that this wasn't a, you know, I'm getting to each country spending 12 hours there and leaving. Um, and, and from my standpoint, I, I want to get to a country. I want to leave the airport. I want to try the food. I want to interact with a local, mm. I want to stay the night. I want to have an experience there. And I think, I think that's important because I think sometimes people are, are trying to check these countries off and they're not having the experience. And for all of those people, kudos to you, however you travel, no judgment whatsoever. This is my own personal preference, but I, you know, I want to have that experience in that culture. Yeah, that's a very big question that I asked Rick, uh, Rick Azaria in that question. I think we had yeah. a 20 minute chat about what is a country. Um, it's a yeah. very, t- it's actually a tough question to answer. It is. And and when you think of, I think of places like Kiribati, you know, population yeah. that's very small versus India. And I could spend three years in India, and yeah. probably not even see it all, three years <laughs> in Kiribati, and I'm bored out of my mind, you know? <laughs> So it's, yeah, I, I think everyone has their own definition of it, but however you're doing it, you're experiencing that. And that's really all that matters. And when you said that you're going to every country in the world, is that the UN, UN specified? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay, yep. cool. Again, some people will say every country, they might include 10 extra ones because some not recognized. And Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm doing the, the UN countries. Got it. Okay. Speaking of events, are you doing the Extraordinary Travel Festival next year? I am. Are you I speaking am. at it? I am. Yes. Ah. I am. I am so excited. It's my first year going to the event, actually. Yeah, it'd be mine. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so excited to meet you and so many other people. I, I cannot wait. 
um it's it's so interesting because there's like this community of all of these extreme travelers and I feel like I know them all personally and so well and I've not met hardly any of them oh wow okay so it's gonna be so cool I am speaking at it really excited um for that really it's in Bangkok really excited to go to Bangkok I've been there before but it's been a number of years and that's one of my favorite parts of the world so yeah I'm gonna get over there and obviously do some traveling from there too so super super excited about it yeah, it's interesting because I said to Rick on our conversation, which was before the announcement of where it was, uh-huh. I said to him, oh, yeah, well, I'll hope to do some trips afterwards, you know, just make it a, a trip. Yeah. Then yeah. he announced Bangkok and I was like, ah, oh, well, I want to go to Bhutan because I've not been. So he gave me a uh-huh. contact and then like uh-huh. two weeks later, he's like, oh, we're adding Bhutan as a trip to the uh-huh. the festivals. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. I might as well do that. But yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, so if people are listening and are curious to understand this Extraordinary Travel Festival, you put that in Google and you'll see some stuff about that but it's a it's a collection of travelers come together have a good time some speaking events like Renee's doing and then yeah. get to meet some people and go to do some excursions if you want to absolutely yeah in a beautiful part of the world too yeah what a place okay and you have a website as well yes reneebruns.net so first last name reneebruns.net and um there is a link on there for my blog my travel blog is wheelstravelstheworld.com and how often do you blog I go in streaks, um, depending on what I'm, I'm doing. I, when I am out on the road, actively doing something, I try to get it out within a day or two, because if I don't get it on paper, my memory starts to fail me. And, and selfishly, selfishly, I want to have it all down, you know, to remember it all, but I also, I want to share it with the world. So when I'm out out on the road, I try to get it out pretty quickly. Oh, you should do a podcast. That's that's an easy one to get, get like a little recording device each day. Just just five minutes what you've done. I do. I actually turn all of my blogs into audio and I just, oh, great. so I know a lot of, a lot of people prefer to consume their, their blogs or, you know, their, yeah. their media through audio. So I do have that audio version. That's brilliant. Okay. And your social medias. My Facebook is Renee Bruns. Instagram is wheels travels. Instagram but, is where all the, all the good pictures and all the good stuff is. Yeah. I'll put some links into the show notes for that. Perfect. And just a, a final few words of wisdom before we go to the quickfire travel questions about traveling as a wheelchair user. Any just final final comments? Yeah, I think it's, gosh, don't be afraid. Mm. Um, I for I would say this is true for all travelers, but especially for wheelchair users, build in a day at a really comfortable hotel that is very accessible. And do not feel bad about taking a day, even if you're just staying in the hotel because it's 100% accessible and you know you can use the restroom and the restaurant and get into your bed. Do not feel bad about taking a day to just rest and say, I need this because it is exhausting to travel. It is extra exhausting to travel when you don't know what the toilets are going to look like or how you're going to be treated or what you're you know the physical component of getting yourself around a city or a country so give yourself permission to rest brilliant okay that's great so we're gonna go some quick fire travel questions these are just like normally yeah. favorite things on the road it could vary from food to experience etc and this will end the episode so my first question it's travel question time you kind of spoken about these but i wonder if it's the same favorites i know people don't like favorites especially people travel a lot but three favorite countries you travel to indonesia laos and i'll say kiribati 
Ah, okay. And three countries you've not traveled to that's on your hit list. Uh, Saudi Arabia. Okay. Um, Saudi Arabia, Turkmenistan, and Madagascar. Oh, yeah. God, they're, yeah. they're three. I'm really excited about that. Madagascar. Very interesting countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. That reminds me, I talked to Rick about Madagascar, about uh, getting to a place to go and see, the, you know, the trees, the famous uh-huh. trees. Uh-huh. Yeah, he said, he said there's three ways to do it, and they're all quite tough in terms yeah. of just being like long, long drives or very few flights. So I'll be yeah. keen, I'll be keeping an eye on how you get on there. I'll be keen to yeah. see how it happens. Yeah, I haven't, in full transparency, I have done no travel planning on that. I just don't mm. want to go there. It looks beautiful. So <laughs> yeah, so unique. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. If you could live anywhere in the world for one year that you've not lived in before, where are you going to live? Uh, so I'm doing Argentina right now. That was high on my list. Um, if I take that off of the list, oh gosh, I would say probably somewhere in Southeast Asia. Maybe Laos. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, three favorite cuisines on your travels. Ita- Italy, Italian food. Mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't love Italian food? <laughs> I've not uh, found anyone yet. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I love some of the Asian foods, the rice entrees, and what else? Gosh. I'm not a foodie, so this is difficult. Okay. Um, some of the Middle Eastern food is really good. Oh yeah. No, India. I'm gonna go India. India. Yeah. I take back my Middle Eastern. I'm gonna go with India. That's fair enough. Okay. If you could sit somewhere in a city with a coffee and watch the world go by, where are you gonna sit? Probably somewhere in Europe. Portugal. Portugal. I'm gonna go Portugal along the coast. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And what about a favorite beach that you've been to? Favorite beach. Uh, I really love the beaches in the Turks and Caicos. Oh, yeah, they look amazing. Yeah, they, they're huh. mostly limestone and not traditional sand. It's mostly limestone, so they're very white and clear. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Turks and Caicos. Yeah, that's a good option. Okay. What about three U.S. states? that your favorites not the one that you live in yeah of course um oregon i love oregon Mm -hmm. vermont is beautiful especially in the fall and colorado they've got the mountains everyone says colorado yeah i know (laughs) it must be good yeah exactly we we didn't go on the road trip unfortunately so uh, yeah next time yeah okay a favorite uh trail or hike or walk Mm. anywhere in the world um or it could be a country that's got great yeah. trails yeah Co- costa rica and oh, okay. i don't know that it's necessarily trails but they have a, the rainforest is beautiful and i've driven through it kind of walked through it a little bit i'm gonna go with costa rica okay that's interesting uh what about top three favorite cities budapest istanbul and Buenos Aires. Yeah. Very great cities that. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're yeah. That's a tough question. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Some people don't like cities though. So they're like, oh, I don't really like yeah. many cities. But yeah. okay. 
Uh, a couple of more. Let's do maybe a favorite activity you've done on your travels. It's quite quite an interesting one, I think. Yeah, I when I was in uh, Bonaire, it's a little islands near Venezuela. Um, it's a I think it's a territory of the Netherlands. So Bonaire is um, they have a lot of winds there. It's very windy, and I was yeah. with my sister, and she wanted to do some windsurfing. And I thought, great, you can do some windsurfing. I'm going to sit at this little bar. I'm going to drink pina coladas while you windsurf. And it, having a great time. And she's out there for, I don't know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And she hollers at me. And she's like, I think you can do this. You can get on this board and, you know, you can like sit on it or kneel on it and, and you can windsurf. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'm kind of enjoying my pina colada here. Like, this is easy, you know? And she's like, get out here. And so I got out there the the guy that was teaching her she had never done it before he was like get out here you can do it and so I got out there and I did some windsurfing and it was really really cool I mean just the windsurfing experience but the fact that I didn't think I was going going to be able to do it and you know I was like all right fine I guess I'm doing this and it was really cool that's amazing that's unreal okay I did not expect that (laughs) and the last question is for any traveler out there any words of advice a couple of senses as to why someone should get out there and see the world um educational opportunities I think is the big one it's you you it changes your life every time you go somewhere new you meet somebody who says something that is just by total happenstance and you latch onto those words you just it gives you perspective you've got to do it it gives you perspective into into the the pieces of this world that come together and how we really are all connected awesome I love finishing on those sort of quotes. So, Renee, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been a very interesting chat. I've learned a lot, uh, a lot of good stuff. And also, I think a lot of listeners are going to learn a lot from that. And that's very like educational. Like, people are like, oh, okay, so yeah. Renee's given us some tips and what it's like to travel as a wheelchair user. And also, the amount of countries you travel to is amazing. So, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And see you next year. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels, and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.